0: Hello and welcome to ICIT Fellow Insights. My name is Param Aftakari, a Senior Fellow at ICIT. I'm joined today by Stan Wisman, an ICIT Fellow and Security Strategist at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Stan, it's good to talk to you again.
1: Good to be on again.
0: Fantastic. So, um, as most of you know, HPE recently published its State of Security Operations Report, as it does each year. Uh, the report always has some great research and insights on Uh, cybersecurity operations. And so we're here today to talk with Stan about some of the key findings. And Stan, I want to start with one of the things that really stood out to me in this year's report, which was a statement and an observation that there's been a year-over-year decline in overall security operation maturity. Now, before we talk about why you've come to this conclusion as an organization and uh, what this means, can you first talk about the criteria that HPE used to measure security operations in the report? Was it focused primarily on internal factors or was it also uh, taking in into consideration external variables like hacking techniques and APTs and, and so forth?
1: Yeah, so let me give a little bit of a, a background on, on the team that created this, forum. Um We're fortunate that we have a, within HPE a very experienced and team that has worked with security operations centers and establishing them and assessing them and operating these for a number of years. Um, and the Security Intelligence and Operations Consulting Group, or SIOC team, um, pulled this report together as a result of looking at 114 different SOCs conducting 154 assessments around the globe since 2008. And the assessments um, include organizations in the public and private sector, as well as all the different industry verticals, and it even included like managed uh, security service providers. And the SIOC team's methodology did look at a lot of different aspects, and, 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 but it's based on uh, a well-founded maturity model. It's based on the Carnegie Mellon Software Engineering Institute, CMM, for integration. You're familiar with that. Absolutely. Um, and you know, as you know, it has one to five uh, as far as the maturity scale. And the focus of the assessments include like business alignment, people, process, technology aspects of the, of the subjects, security operations. And they do assess how well they detect malicious activity and threats uh, to the organization, including things like APTs, and whether they have a systematic approach to manage those threats as part of measuring maturity. And, and you know, we believe the ideal composite maturity score is not a five um, for a modern security um, operation center, um, but more is like a level three and this is like a defined capability to you remember your maturity scale from the CMM and and this is achieved with a mixture of agility as well as um, high maturity for some of these processes and you know we've observed uh, the SOAC team has observed that if you have higher levels of maturity like a level five they're usually too costly to achieve and the quest for achieving that higher maturity results in stagnate, stagnation and uh, rigidity and overall lower effectiveness. And the only exception to that rule generally is when you're dealing with MSSPs. Uh, MSSPs do need to have a higher level overall as far as maturity, because they're managing a lot of different operations for different organizations.
0: Interesting, interesting. So so with that background, and thank you for that, that definitely puts the uh, the rest of the conversation into some better context. What were the main areas where you saw a decline and what was driving this overall assessment that your team made?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think the SOC team found that over the last five years, you know, 25% of the cyber defense organizations that were assessed even failed to make a level one on the scale. I mean, they're, they're, wow. at, the, they're at the lowest level, you know, again, that scales one to five. Um, and, and so we find like a, a quarter of the security organizations that operate are doing so in an ad hoc kind of manner without undocumented processes. And uh, in 2015 the, the report showed that only 15% of assessed organizations are meeting business goals and are working toward um, or have achieved their target maturity levels. At least 85% of organizations that have not achieved their recommended maturity levels. And, and, and that's a high number and that's kind of alarming. Um, but it does account for like an influx of a number of new SOCs. So they're just starting their journey. Um, and so these, these findings, you know, have to take that into account, that there are a number of new organizations that are, are you know, starting up their efforts. And a, a key element for the sort of uneven distribution of maturity can also be tied back to um, those that have experienced negative financial impact from a breach. So there's a reactive aspect to this, um, those organizations that understand the criticality of protecting their enterprises and have directly experienced a financial loss due to a breach. Well, they're doing a better job. <laughs> yes, of, of maturing their organization because they felt the pain.
0: Yeah, un- unfortunately, I think that's what it uh, that's what it takes sometimes, right? And that's a good point that you bring up with regards to uh, putting kind of the the decline in context, because as newer organizations come into the fold, and frankly, as we better understand what. You know, maturity means. To, per your earlier comments, um, the uh, this this scale and kind of the findings may fluctuate up and down. But as we, as the community, mature our understanding, uh, we may become more critical and and kind of score more um, uh, more tightly, which could also explain some of the findings that you guys are right. pointing out. Right. So, um, you know, some of the things you were talking about kind of reminds me of, of the Institute's research. We talk a lot about basic cyber hygiene, which clearly some of these folks are are still struggling with. The Institute also um, often cites multi-layered security as a core part of an organization's resiliency strategy. Now, in your report, um, you talk specifically about hunting for unknown attacks by layering on advanced analytic capabilities. I thought this was interesting. So. Can you talk a bit about what this layering of advanced analytic capabilities means, and and if you have any examples of organizations that are doing this well?
1: Sure, sure. So, first off, we, we agree that a holistic approach, right, to security operations, oh. you know, includes like mastering the basics, the security monitoring, the incident detection, the breach escalation. You know, those layers have to be in place to form that foundation. And if if you know the the mind shift that many folks have had to, okay, we've already been breached. Assume that, right? Um, that way of thinking has helped you know, sort of like fuel industry's adoption of hunt teams and analytics solutions. People are starting to look at that as another way of d- getting visibility into these more advanced attackers. Um, and, and the report showed that use of security analytics um, for more mature operation teams is, is usually like a layering on of capability to hunt for unknown attacks and using advanced analytics as an aid to detection. So they're layering it on to that foundation that's already there and when implemented properly, these teams and, and tools can help organizations ferret out complex and, and stealthy kind of attacks that usually bypass their traditional controls. Now. An example, what I've seen folks doing as far as a, you know, a use case, and I think that's useful to start with, you know, some very specific use cases when you're doing you know, trying to apply security analytics, is is around high privilege accounts, for users that go rogue, um, yeah. whether by malicious intent or, or let's say you know you've you've had a uh, you know that's a target those high privilege accounts are a target for attackers right and they're trying to compromise them. Um, now, traditional security controls, you're unlikely to detect the threat, right? Because that privileged user operates with the necessary entitlements. You know, they they have the access permissions to perform that role, right? So, they're going to go through your traditional kind of detection. Um, the the UBA or the user behavior analytics sort of removes that invisibility cloak. You know, that allows you to sort of see what that privileged user is doing compared to their peers or to a baseline of activity and you say, aha, you know, that's unusual, you know, now that I have that visibility and can compare it to the the others that have that privilege or a baseline of activity for that user, you can identify that as being a um, potentially circumvented account or an insider that's doing something malicious.
0: Yeah, and, and there is, you know, uh, I know we both just got back from RSA recently, there's a, right. really a a lot of unique analytic tools out there. One of the things that uh, the institute actually talked about, as you know, uh, right after the OPM breach, was the need for behavioral biometrics. So actually, you know, looking at and analyzing how does Parham or Stan typically interact with his device? And now, boy, is, is Stan using a mouse when he used to use the uh, touchpad, or is he typing slower than he used to, or, or uh, you know, things like that? And and, and uh, you know, these are the types of layers that we need to start looking at, especially uh, when you take into consideration. Uh, privileged accounts or or people who have access to certain types of information who may require additional levels of scrutiny.
1: And and, and that profiling or fingerprinting can unnerve a number of folks on the privacy side. Um, but at the same time, that baselining of what the norm is versus what uh, could potentially be Uh, indicators that there is malicious activity going on that's what we need to be able to detect these more advanced threat actors and so there is that balance that has to occur absolutely
0: absolutely so this kind of is a nice way to segue into the next part of this conversation Um, we obviously talked a bit about some of the areas where we need to be improving but were there any silver linings in the report is there anywhere where we're getting better
1: well, uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the challenges that we identify was around skilled security resources. Um, so that, that continues to be a main concern of enterprise, and it's hard to find and retain necessary skilled uh, resources uh, to, to build out this capability. But to deal with this, a number of organizations are, are moving toward a, a hybrid kind of staffing and, and security infrastructure model. And, and these models require less in-house expertise while retaining control over the critical pieces of their, their you know security organizations functions like the SIM um, and some other functions and so I think that's a positive trend because that enables them to continue to build out that capability even if they don't have the the resources to, to do it all on their own and some are even going the full bore of, of doing an MSSP and is outsourcing it completely and that's especially true for like small and mid sized companies and again it's better to do that as opposed to not being able to completely, you know, function. You know, you don't want to stay at that level one maturity, right? You want to be able to do something to be able to move you up in that capability. And if you need to outsource a function, then do so. Uh, so I think that's healthy. Um, another result of sort of the, the, the staffing squeeze and trying to find the right resources and retaining them is um, an adoption of, of in, investing in security orchestration and automation. And so organizations are trying to streamline their incident investigation and remediation. And that frees up the more highly skilled and experienced resources. So they can actually be used for breach investigations and hunt teams. And so that's another benefit as they're trying to figure out how to make these things more efficient. um, And it frees up some of the, the, the better resources in their organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and and in, in closing on this uh, topic of the report, what can, uh, or I should say, how can stock operators use the findings to change behaviors? And and in your opinion, what should their priorities be moving forward to move up, uh, move up their scores a bit?
1: Well, I think a continual focus on on mastering the basics, and and creating a solid foundation is key. I mean, knowing how to do risk identification incident detection and breach escalation you know as well as response you need to have that foundation in place and then benefits of things like security analytics capabilities and threat intelligence sharing that's all great but you really only truly realize this you know those benefits when you have a strong foundation in your security operations and, and no single product or, or service can provide the protection and operational awareness That are needed. I mean, you you need to have that continuous investment into all facets of the cyber defense organization. um, Yeah, there is no silver bullet. Maturity. I mean, that's that's the struggle because there are so many things that people need to do, and it's hard to focus uh, and maintain that momentum. And um, usually, there needs to be a a champion to help push the organization to increasing levels of maturity. Uh, But that's one of the things you need to be focusing on.
0: Sure, sure. So I want to switch gears a bit now, um, Stan. We we all know that over the last several months, there's been heightened activity on the part of the um, uh, Obama administration with respect right. to cybersecurity. Right, the president has called for the creation of a new federal CISO role for the first time. He's emphasizing training and education, and even proposing the creation of funds to to you know, facilitate the move away from legacy systems which have been blamed uh, or have been cited as one of the main factors in a lot of recent breaches uh, within agencies. So now wondering from your perspective, uh, do you think that what the president and OMB uh, are proposing um, is adequate or are they obviously all great steps forward, but is it enough or are there major elements that are missing from their proposals?
1: Well, I, I do think the president's Cybersecurity National Action Plan or, or CNAP Um, If it's implemented, it would be, you know, great steps forward in the right direction. Um, You know, as we're dealing with things like legacy or end of life components, you know, which is one of the big aspects of the program, one of the major aspects, um, you can't manage vulnerabilities effectively if you're stuck with all these unpatchable system components. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of government organizations are in this boat and, you know, I've been in that situation before you know, as as far as being, you know, in an environment that had a lot of -of end-of-life components, and it is a must-do activity to upgrade those end-of-life systems. Um, So I really like seeing that IT modernization fund to help retire in place and modernize the legacy IT uh, across the government, because that's, you you can't win unless you you at least deal with that fundamental aspect. I, I, I do believe that, you know, having a federal CISO, um, will help provide some focus on cybersecurity. However, I, I really don't um, understand enough about how the federal CISO would interact um, with his or her counterparts in and, and the different agencies, so I need to learn more about that. Um, and as far as what's potentially missing, um, you know, I, I think that the new perimeter nowadays is really the, for most organizations, is really the application through mm-hmm. which, you know, we gain access um and I, I would have liked to have seen more emphasis on building you know security into our applications in the plan um, and may that's too low a level of granularity, but um, I would have liked to have seen that
0: sure so uh, and on that note, you know this is um there's things that that could be added to improve and and to your point it may require uh, more technical savvy and, and 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 this is where industry really comes into play so um, how do you think uh, industry needs to um, kind of work to support these initiatives and, and, and how, what is HP doing uh, to kind of uh, get involved in these things
1: so I, I, I think there are a number of ways that industry can get involved um, one that stood out for me in as far as in the CNAP proposal is um, is to create a national center of cybersecurity resilience uh, where companies and sector-wide you know organizations can test the security of systems um, in like a contained environment, uh, like like uh, setting up, uh, for example, a, a replica electric grid uh, to cyber attack. I, I think that would be very helpful because, you know, let's face it, the industry by itself can't do that, and government by itself can't effectively do all aspects of that. So, working together, uh, I think that's a great example of what we could do.
0: Absolutely. So, um, Stan, thanks so much for the time. This has been, as always, a really great discussion um, uh, for the listener. Um, you can go to the HP website uh, or just go on Google and download the uh, report. titled title is The State of Security Operations by Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. And, Stan, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Mark. All right.